to Little Yo Pod, the all thing Yosemite podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, a former interpretive guide in Yosemite and longtime resident. And on today's show, I'm going to be talking about frazzle ice and the snow cone, two phenomena that can be as elusive as they are intriguing and another aspect of the many wonders of winter in Yosemite National Park. So I moved to Yosemite to work between college semesters for the first time in May of 2004, and I had no idea at that time that that summer would change my life forever. I came back the next summer and the next, and I remember making the decision to finally stay on permanently in 2006. I had a job then that I could keep all year, whereas most of the jobs there are seasonal, and I'd heard that winter was a totally different experience than summer. I couldn't imagine the park without wall-to-wall people and the daily traffic jams under the sweltering summer sun. But as the season drew to a close and the days started getting shorter, so too did the masses begin to dwindle until eventually you would only see the occasional lonely visitor walking the Valley Loop Trail. I had never experienced such peace. Winter in Yosemite is not for everyone, to be sure. I wouldn't recommend visiting in the winter if you don't think you would like being outside in the cold because it does get very, very cold. It can get into the low teens during the winter months and the temperature usually hovers around the high 40s, high to mid 40s in the daytime and the lows in the low 30s at night. But for the well-initiated Yosemite enthusiast, winter is a great time to plan a visit. And if you come outside of holidays and weekends, you could literally walk for miles on the valley floor and not cross paths with another human. Winter is when you see coyotes napping in the meadows and families of mule deer traveling quietly along the paths and roads. And if you're really lucky, winter is when the whole valley is transformed by a blanket of snow. I can say with near certainty that I can't think of anything more beautiful than Yosemite after a big snowstorm. Now, you may think there aren't a lot of things to do in Yosemite in the winter, but that is where you'd be mistaken. In normal years, when there isn't a pandemic or a major drought, there is a family-friendly ski resort called Badger Pass, an ice skating rink, snowshoe and cross-country ski trails, and great hills for sledding. Even some of the hiking trails are still accessible. In fact, if there isn't too much snow, and nowadays, let's be honest, there aren't too many snowy days in Yosemite Valley anymore, the Upper Yosemite Fall Trail is a great option for a day hike in the winter, and it's probably my preferred time of year to hike this trail. I've hiked it in all seasons, but I think a moderate winter day is pretty much perfect for it. Upper Yosemite Fall is a bit of a slog. It's 3.2 miles one way with an elevation gain of over 3,000 feet. So that's pretty tough. In the summer, when this trail is the most crowded, it is punishing near the top. While the first two-thirds of the trail travel through forests of canyon live oak, incense cedars, and California bay laurel, the top of the trail is completely exposed. And on a hot and sunny day, climbing that last three-quarter miles or so is relentless. You see, Yosemite Falls is on the sunny side of Yosemite Valley, the North Rim, which sees a lot more sunshine than the South Rim. But the abundance of sunshine make this the perfect winter hike. And if conditions are right, you may even get to go up close and personal with the beloved Yosemite phenomenon, the snow cone. 
The snow cone that sits just below Upper Yosemite Fall is a wonderful winter delight. It's not hard to spot it from anywhere that Upper Yosemite Fall is visible because it typically reaches two to 300 feet in height and takes up the space of several acres. So let me explain the snow cone. The name is about as apt a description as you could get, except the snow is not snow like snow from the clouds. It's a pile of tiny ice crystals formed from the mist of Upper Yosemite Fall. Dissipating water molecules, or what would be mist, uh, turn into tiny bits of ice when the air temperature is cold enough and pile up at the base of the upper fall to form a giant conical shape, or a cone of snow a snow cone. If you decide to hike up Yosemite Fall in the winter and the conditions are right for it, about halfway up the trail, there's a place where you can break off the main trail and walk right up to the snow cone. It's pretty obvious how to get there. And now I wouldn't recommend getting too close to it or even stepping on it because snow and ice are of course variable and may collapse or give way at any time. But it is still an impressive feature and one that is not seen in many places throughout the world that I'm aware of. So for a long time... (laughs) I was unaware of the significance of the snow cone. I think there are just so many wonderful things to look at when you're in Yosemite that it's easy to miss some truly amazing things, especially when you don't understand the significance or the rarity of them. It's sort of like missing things in plain sight. There's actually a name for this. It's called inattentional blindness, and it occurs when an individual does not notice something because their brain selectively disregards it in order to take in what it perceives as the more pertinent information of an environment. If you're going to Yosemite expecting to see some things and not others, it's very easy to miss a lot of features, even the big ones. We're all susceptible to this in one way or another, even me, although I'm ashamed to admit it. I miss a lot of things until they are pointed out to me. So when someone asked me about the snow cone, I was like, huh? (laughs) I didn't know that was even a thing. Now, I had seen it, but it didn't register as anything important to me. And I didn't even realize how massive it was until I saw it up close. Everything in Yosemite is so big, it's really hard to get perspective of size. Like when you look for the climbers on El Capitan, I have never met anyone who wasn't completely blown away by how tiny people look on the side of El Cap. They appear to be smaller than ants, almost microscopic. So the snow cone, by comparison to the wall that it sits next to, didn't seem too impressive when I saw it from across the valley floor. But hike Upper Yosemite Fall and you will see firsthand why the snow cone is such a a big deal. I've seen old photos of people climbing the snow cone and they look like they're climbing a mountain. But unlike the snowy peaks of the Sierra Nevada, the snow cone completely disappears by the time summer visitors arrive unaware that any such thing ever existed. But the snow cone wasn't the only thing I hadn't noticed my first few winters in Yosemite. I had spent quite a few years in the park by the time I had heard of something called frazzle ice. Now keep in mind, social media was not the same back in the early 2000s, so a lot of times we had to get our information and insights from real-life people in face-to-face interactions. So I had no idea this was a thing either. I can't remember when I heard of it for the first time, but it was one of those things that I had seen many times but didn't know there was even a name for it, and such a whimsical name such as Frazzle Ice. I think it was my mom who asked me about it first, and I immediately thought of the show I loved as a kid, Fraggle Rock. (laughs) Frazzle what? I said, Frazzle Ice. I don't know where she'd heard of it, but I think it may have been on the news or something. Again, lacking the inundation of social media at the time, people also looked to the evening news for sources of information. Imagine that. 
Frazzle Ice, she says, it's this really neat thing that the ice does in Yosemite. In my Yosemite, I asked. It was not unusual for my relatives to mistake my place of residence for Yellowstone. It was not unusual for guests to mistake that they were in Yellowstone while visiting Yosemite either, for that matter. But I digress. And my mother did not appreciate my pedantic tone either. So frazzle ice are ice crystals in turbulent water that form together to make something not quite liquid or solid, but something kind of in between. The best way I've heard it described is like a Slurpee, but without the delicious flavor combos. And if you don't know what a Slurpee is, it's like those frozen drinks that you get at um, convenience stores. For frazzle ice to form, it has to be very cold and there has to be enough water to create turbulent motion. So frazzle ice is typically seen closer to spring during a cold snap rather than the winter, but uh, because there's enough water from snow melt at that time and the temperature gets low enough to freeze the water molecules. So what's really neat about frazzle ice is that it can pile up very quickly and form a solid looking patch of snow. What is not so neat about frazzle ice for us is that it does such a good job mimicking a solid snow patch that people may step onto it thinking that is a consolidated formation and then end up sinking up to their knees in freezing cold water. It can also be dangerous if the water is deep or running rapidly. So frazzle ice can be seen all over Yosemite in the right conditions, uh, cold, low humidity, and flowing water. So what exactly is it? So the word frazzle is spelled F-R-A-Z-I-L, and it's a noun. And it's sort of defined as the softer unformed ice crystals that accumulate in water that do not freeze in a solid state because there is too much motion. Frazzle ice is common in creeks, streams, and rivers, and it can also be seen in large bodies of water like lakes and even oceans. But basically, you need very cold air, uh, water, and turbulent conditions. But these conditions are dependent on the water cooling uh, by quite a lot and very quickly. So we're looking for temperatures between 0 degrees Celsius or 32 degrees Fahrenheit and negative 6 degrees Celsius or 21 degrees Fahrenheit. And that is air temperature. And there has to be motion because that is what is mixing the water with the cold air and churning it all together like a Slurpee machine, right? So when a Slurpee sits out of the machine uh, and just sits still, it melts and becomes just juice, basically. But inside a churning Slurpee machine, the water crystallizes but never freezes solid, even though the temperature is around 26 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, it's not actually that simple because uh, Slurpee machines also have sugar molecules in them that prevent the ice from consolidating, but you get the general idea. We need cold air and lots of motion and water. Frazzle ice has been described resembling something like lava or even cement, the way it moves. As it can form dams, uh, it can all form together and form a dam that diverts the movement of the creek in an instant. So it's this dynamic, shifting, and unpredictable force of nature. And sometimes it actually causes a lot of destruction, can damage bridges, and um, divert water to places that it shouldn't be going. But it is also something that is ephemeral, here in one instant and gone the next. So how do you know if that snow patch is a snow patch or or frazzle ice. Well, the best way to determine this is to observe where the snow is located. If it's under or near a bridge, uh, appears to be in a ditch, a stream, or river channel, and there isn't any other snow around it, and that's probably the best cue, it is probably stationary frazzle ice. And if that's the case, uh, take some time to observe it for a while because the chances are good that that inconspicuous snow patch may suddenly break up and float away. Pretty exciting stuff. Who needs TV when you can watch ice? Seriously, though, this stuff is pretty cool. 
<laughs> no pun intended. But it wasn't until I learned about the snow cone and frazzle ice and slurping machines for that matter that I really began to appreciate these winter wonders. Winter is often referred to as Yosemite's best kept secret, but it is easy to miss these things if you don't know to look for them. Which brings me to this. When COVID hit in 2020, the company that I had been working for as a guide had to cut a lot of their staff and departments, understandably. That was when I permanently lost my job with them. And it was devastating. But what was worse was that everyone in my department also lost their job. These are intelligent, enthusiastic people who just wanted to share the best parts of Yosemite with visitors. The interpretive guides of the National Park Service, the Yosemite Conservancy, and the concession company do some of the best work in the park, in my opinion. And eliminating even one of those branches is such a loss, not only for the interpreters, but for the people who visit Yosemite who may otherwise miss all of the splendid things that a guide could share with them. So I guess my hope for 2021 is that it becomes a priority to bring those people back to do that valuable work. National Park Interpretive Programs began officially in Yosemite 100 years ago and have inspired and educated countless people during that time. It is hard work, but it is great work and an incredibly valuable asset to the Yosemite community and every person who visits the national parks and wants to learn more about them. That's why I started this podcast, because even though I may not do that work officially anymore, I couldn't bear for this information to not be made available. Everyone deserves to know Yosemite like the people who truly love it know it. That is what keeps us all striving to keep the best places protected and preserved for ourselves and for the future. Sharing information and stories about Yosemite is one of my greatest joys, and I hope what I shared with you today inspires you to continue seeking the secrets of Yosemite. The rewards of the national parks are as endless as the mysteries that keep us coming back to them. And there is always something new if you know where to look. So when planning your next trip to Yosemite, consider visiting in the winter. You will likely have the whole place to yourself and you have the opportunity to look for the snow cone and the ever elusive phenomenon frazzle ice. Things that can only be seen and experienced during those quiet and peaceful winter months in Yosemite National Park. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod. If you like this podcast, please consider uh, giving it a rating and or a review. The more ratings we get, the more listeners can find the podcast. And I know that a lot of podcasts say this, and admittedly, I am guilty of not always rating podcasts. But unlike the more popular podcasts asking for ratings, Little Yo Pod is still a very small operation. And the more ratings we get, the more people can find this information, which I believe is so important now more than ever. Rating the podcast is free. It takes about 20 seconds. And it helps me out so much more than you may realize. I'm currently at 26 ratings on Apple Podcasts, and my dream is to get up to 100 by my birthday, which is in February. So if you haven't rated us yet, please take the time to do so. It would be the best birthday present ever. If you want to contact me with any questions or comments, please email me at littleyopod at gmail.com, or you can follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at littleyopod. Uh, find links to all of this in the show notes and a link to the best video ever on Brazil Ice. It's so cool. Um, this week, I don't have a fun fact, but I think I'm going to do something a little bit different for this segment. I've been so inspired by some of the things I find out that people and organizations and companies are doing to help make this world a little bit better and more compassionate during these hard times. So I wanted to share something I found out while researching this episode with you. So I was looking up how to, how Slurpee machines work and it's actually pretty cool. (laughs) 
I would recommend uh, checking that out. But um, I found out that every year since 2002, the convenience store 7-Eleven has been celebrating something called 7-Eleven Day. And this is um, July 11th every year. And on 7-Eleven Day, they would give out free Slurpees to everyone. Like whoever came in could just get one for free. Um, So they couldn't do this in 2020, obviously, because of COVID. They didn't want to have a lot of people coming to the store all at once. Uh, So they still gave away free Slurpees to their, um, I guess, like loyalty program members. (laughs) But they also uh, took that money and they used it to to donate 1 million meals to Feeding America, which is a um, food insecurity relief organization. And I was just so impressed by this. I think that, you know, that's something they didn't have to do and something that they hadn't done in the past. But, you know, they just took that opportunity to take kind of a bad situation and turn it into something positive. And I think that kind of work is so important right now. I think that 2021 is going to be a really good opportunity for us to all uh, look for those for those ways that we can um, help out each other in our communities in any way that we can. So I hope that that inspired you as much as it inspired me. Uh, If you want to know more about what I'm going to be doing this year to give back, um, check out my YouTube channel. I actually talk about it on one of my more recent videos, my 21 goals for 2021. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Little Yo Pod. I'm Laura Jackson. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful day. 